Welcome to the panel on RNZ National, Julia Hartley-Moore and Stephen McCabe with me today. And hi, Steve and Napier. He's mowing the lawns and listening to the radio while doing a cure of Steve. Now, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins has said that New Zealand's nuclear-free stance was brought up in meetings with the US and Papua New Guinea and the two countries signed a new security pact. Hipkins acknowledged that it wouldn't change. In 1984, Prime Minister David Longy banned nuclear-powered or nuclear-armed ships from using New Zealand ports or entering New Zealand waters. And in 2018, New Zealand Prime Minister then Jacinda Ardern reinstated the ministerial portfolio of Minister for Disarmament and Arms Control. Also, a highlight of Hipkins' one-day mission to Port Moresby was a chance for his first meeting with Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India. Robert Papman is Professor of Politics and Director of International Studies at the University of Otago. Professor Papman, welcome. Oh, good afternoon, Wallace. Thank you. Well, firstly, how do you feel that this trip has gone? I think it's gone pretty well from uh, Chris Hipkins' point of view. Uh, I think he came across in his media presentation while he was in PNG as articulate on top of his brief, and I think he was quite clear uh, at the same time, I think he uh, he had important contacts with the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and also um, the leaders of PNG and the Cook Islands, as well as uh, Mr. Modi, the Indian leader. One aspect, one angle, I guess I wanted to raise, uh, uh, Robert, was this uh, issue of, because he raised it, the fact that, um, you know, nuclear's, our nuclear-free stance was brought up in meetings, but it wouldn't change. Why... Yeah. Would it have been raised in meetings? Does the world not yet know that this is an intractable part of New Zealand policy? I think there's a lot of anxiety, um, Wallace, uh, in the Pacific Island states and also in members of ASEAN about the exploratory talks that New Zealand's been conducting uh, with the AUKUS partners. That's the United Kingdom, Australia and the United States. Uh, there was some speculation that we were, might join as a, a, pillar, a second pillar right. of the AUKUS arrangement. And I think that's caused some concern. We shouldn't forget that the Pacific Island states are bound by the Treaty of Rarotonga in 1986, which declared the South Pacific a nuclear-free zone. And also the ASEAN states have a similar arrangement, which they, they signed in uh, 1995, declaring the region represented by ASEAN as a nuclear weapon-free zone. So, uh, and, and New Zealand, of course, has championed the norm of non-nuclear security. So eyebrows were raised when a number of commentators in this country started arguing that we could join AUKUS and not have any sort of compromising of our uh, nuclear-free stance. And I think it's coming home to the Prime Minister and everyone else if they'd ever flirted with the possibility, but we can't have our cake and eat it when it comes to championing a global uh, nuclear-free world and also, um, you know, contemplate joining AUKUS. Let's go around the panel, Robert, and uh, let's um, talk about whether our nuclear-free status is still significantly important to our panel. Let's get the sort of sentiment, and indeed to our listeners, Julia. I think it's good that we're nuclear free but you see the thing is being nuclear free doesn't affect our defense relationship with the u.s i mean they'd still come to our aid if we needed them to so i think it's good we stand alone we we everyone's known that for a long time 
uh, Steve? I'm a little bit... Um, I, don't, I don't know exactly how, where, where to stand on the whole... Um, the way that New Zealand is nuclear-free. So we've talked about the Treaty of Rarotonga, for example, which is um, opposed to nuclear weapons. We talk about many other, other nuclear-free aspects of, of, of world relations, and it all focuses on, on uh, avoiding nuclear weapons. Uh, it seems that New Zealand is taking an extremely hard line on being opposed to even anything that's nuclear-powered. Now, I know that, that yeah, you could have, a, say, a submarine rocks up, but we don't get to do a quick audit of what's in the missile base. I get that. But, but it seems like we, we are kind of possibly being a little bit intransigent. On the other hand, isn't it fantastic that we are not letting the bigger powers push us around? We are New Zealand. We know what we stand for. And and that's us. We are good about that. But again, do we need to rethink it, possibly modify it? I mean, absolutely keep the no nuclear weapons bit totally on top of that. But especially when we're talking later on about, um, say, for example, um, looking for emissions-free power, do we need to start embracing nuclear power as a power source, not as a source of weaponry? Oh, that's a whole other issue, isn't yeah. it, Stephen? We can come back to, yeah. to that. But, but, but Robert, the, the Nuclear Free Act did come into being in 1987, while, mm. away, while ago now. Is it still fit for purpose in the 21st century? Does anything need to be amended or re-examined? I think it is still fit for purpose. And the reason I say that is that New Zealand is a relatively small actor, uh, but uh, it has been championing the norm of non-nuclear security. And it also, we haven't mentioned it so far, but it, 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 in recent years, it's been a key player in driving the treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons that more than 50 countries have signed up to. And uh, the other thing is, uh, it, it, it does differentiate New Zealand from other members of AUKUS. Now, the reason I mention that, yeah. one of the core strategic goals of the current New Zealand government, and I suspect any national successor, any, any successor government led by national, will be to diversify our trade uh, uh, situation at the moment, where we're very dependent on China. To do that, we do need to have good relations and to be credible in the eyes of countries like, for example, Indonesia, Thailand, other countries which have expressed concern, Malaysia, all expressed concerns about the prospect of nuclear proliferation triggered by AUKUS. So, in uh. a sense, uh, if we want to economically diversify, we need to keep in mind not just whether we believe our nuclear-free or our non-nuclear security policy uh, is, you know, unblemished, but whether others see it as such, because clearly we do need to reduce our trade dependence on China. This is an issue, by the way, that the former Prime Minister, Paul Keating, has been uh, beating the drum on in Australia in criticism of the Albanese participation in uh, Albanese's government's participation in AUKUS there. Just finally, Professor Pappen, what do you make of the the United States PNG Defence Corporation? I mean, there was a similar agreement between China and the Solomon Islands last year, and there have been some analysts that are saying, "Gosh Almighty, you know, the Pacific mm. is turning into somewhat of a um, <laughs> a, a political checkerboard." I, I think well, I found it very interesting that people are, are making are drawing that uh, interpretation, and I think you know it's easy to do so. But there was a warning by the PNG leader uh, that developing countries in the Pacific and elsewhere will not be allow themselves to be uh, pawns in, in a sort of global 
um, geopolitical game. And I think this is a reminder, yes, the U.S. have signed uh, a security agreement with PNG, but PNG has made it quite clear that doesn't, that doesn't tie their hands with other agreements with other countries. And secondly, uh, the military agreement is only part of the package provided by the U.S. 12.4 million is going towards building resilience against climate change in the PNG. Now, the reason that's important is that this is one issue which all Pacific Island states believe is their number one security, national security challenge, which is climate change. I, I don't think um, the, the idea that China or the United States are battling for control of the Pacific Island states, I think that's probably a little bit out of date in the 21st okay. century. These countries are going to be jealously guarding their sovereignty. Very good. Professor Papin, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank that's you. Uh, Robert Papin, Professor uh, of Politics, Director of International Studies at uh, Otago uh, University. Absolutely not. We need to stay completely nuclear-free. It has numerous risks which are and have been catastrophic even in power form. I'd like to know the polls, actually. the According to opinion polls taken prior to the 1984 election, 30% of New Zealanders supported visits by US warships with a clear majority of 58% opposed. I'd love to know the um, the same poll taken now. Anyway, 17 past four. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Always good to have you here. And in news just this afternoon, Racing Minister Kieran McLenalty has approved a deal for a British company to partner with the TAB for 25 years and is considering banning other forms of online betting. He has also released a report into Greyhound Racing saying the status quo is quote-unquote no longer viable and the industry must either shut down or face strict conditions. But he says he's likely run out of time to do that before election. Uh, there was a disastrous weekend in Greyhound Racing in Monaco last year when nine dogs were badly injured for breaking their legs. Now, we did uh, ask for a statement from Greyhound NZ. They haven't replied uh, in time for this to run, but uh, if that comes, we'll um, let you know. Anyway, with us now, though, is uh, Anna DeRoe, campaign manager for SAFE. Kia ora, Anna. Kia ora. So this followed a review from... Uh, 2021 and said that Greyhound Racing had maintained a culture of silence against those pushing for greater reform. Um, what do you make of this latest announcement today? Yeah, so um, I mean, we absolutely agree that the status quo can't continue the way it has. I mean, the last Greyhound Racing season, 41% of Greyhounds Racing were injured. That's not okay. That doesn't meet any reasonable standard of animal welfare. And the Greyhound Racing industry has had 10 years of chances to try and clean up their act and three reviews, and they're all um, uncovering the same fundamental issues. The Racing Integrity Board, RIB report released today, showed the industry in its current form no longer viable. The two options are continue under strict conditions or closure. Would you support the former under new heightened, really strict rules continue with greyhound racing 
I, I think we've already um, tested that as far as it can go. It's simply not um, viable. Like there's been 10 years of trying to implement uh, the recommendations from these reviews and we're still seeing the injury rates going upwards. I think we just have to accept that this industry is inherently dangerous for greyhounds uh, and the public support is very much behind a ban. Uh, over 37,000 people signed a petition for a ban. Over 15,000 people have emailed the racing minister calling for a ban on greyhound racing. And in a recent independent poll, uh, 74% of New Zealanders said they would vote to ban greyhound racing right. in a referendum. I don't, okay, is that right? I don't know if I've ever, Julia, um, been to a greyhound race. In fact, I haven't. I've never seen it uh, in person. What about, what, what about you? Well, no, I am, I was, uh, Julia. Considering I was married to someone who we had a stud farm, a, a horse stud, and um, is a fanatical gambler, uh, but can well afford to and is sensible, uh, I've got to say that about him. Um, I have been to greyhound racing and I loathe it with a passion. Uh, I, I am an How animal so? person. And, well, because it's it's just, to me, it's just cruel. Uh, I can't stand animals being used for money and I saw enough of that on the stud farm, we bred, you know, horses for racing. They were very well looked after on our farm, but I've got to tell you, what used to upset me greatly was the age of the mares that were coming in to be serviced by the stallion. You wouldn't want anything that old to get pregnant, you know, and have to carry a foal. So um, I, I'm glad that, that this is what's happened to greyhound racing. It's about time, and I hope it stays that way, that it doesn't come back. Okay, stay there, Anna. Let's bring Stephen. Well, I mean, obviously, obviously, we have to follow follow the money here, and and we're looking at the fact that the 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 government clearly um, doesn't want to restrict it so badly it'll ban it because, as we've seen, there's huge money to be made in gambling, which is why the government want not only to extend um, contract with, with uh, running the TAB for 25 years, but to ban all competition as well, which is probably unrealistic since it's online. But but clearly. The government likes the fact that there is gambling on on animal racing. I think then that looking for a huge distinction between horse racing and dog racing is possibly, again, a bit spurious. Um, yes, there are more dogs are injured and die than there are horses. But, you know, again, I've just come back from the UK and I was there for the Grand National. And, and so I had the great pleasure of watching a horse die at one of the fences when it fell. The, we, are, we are making animals race. Um, and put, put their lives at risk for our entertainment and, and amusement and possible financial gain. And so, so Julia, yeah, I'm with you. Animals should not be used for human, human amusement and entertainment. I, I don't actually see a huge difference between dog racing and horse racing in this case. All right, no, so, I don't either, Steve. I'm glad you said that. Well, let's bring, I don't l- let's bring uh, Anna. I'd like to hear your response, actually, listeners around the more to what do you make uh, of um, this um, really reporting to greyhound racing? Uh, uh, Mikkelnotti saying the status quo no longer viable and the industry's got to shut down or face strict uh, restrictions. Anna, what about some of the uh, recommendations that came out in 2021? Here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's some of them. Um, a health and welfare committee with full participation of stakeholders to implement change, uh, a reintroduction of a standalone animal welfare manager, uh, you've got thorough professional kennel visits, a socialisation programme for all greyhounds, the future of home. We know that happens. What about some of these recommendations? 
Well, yes, I think what you'll see in the, this latest report that has come out, I think they've said only eight of the 32 Hanson um, recommendations have actually been closed. So there's just been very little progress. Um, and yes, completely agree with the other callers there about like, do we really want to see um, animals harmed, maimed, killed in the name of gambling profits and entertainment? Has Have you spoken to Greyhound Racing NZ? There's that notion of maintaining, maintaining a culture of silence. Yeah, so um, it, it has. Uh, that's been a long-standing concern, and we saw fairly recently that they um, kicked the SBCA off of their um, advice board, and that was another question raised by the report about whether their new kind of uh, welfare advice panel um, truly had enough animal welfare expertise on board. Exactly. And uh, Julian. Yeah, no, that is exactly what I'm... What Look, when there's money involved, and there's a lot of money involved in, in racing of any form, and, and there's a, a lot of damages done not only to animal, animals with racing, but to also to people, and I deal with that a lot. So, um, you know... There, yeah, there has to be something... Something needs to change dramatically, and animals shouldn't be used to entertain us. All right, very good. Uh, Anna, uh, thanks for being on the program. That's Anna Diro, Campaign Manager for Safety. That's the uh, latest uh, announced this afternoon. Racing Minister Kieran McElnoldy has approved a deal for a British company to partner with the TAB for 25 years. That's uh, uh, one part of the story. The other one is releasing a report into Greyhound Racing. We talked about that this afternoon. No doubt you might uh, hear more of that later. On RNZ, perhaps on a checkpoint, 25 past for the panel. Now, uh, we've got um, quite a response to this. Um, so I received an email from someone who said, why don't we give people a good send-off uh, anymore when visiting a house? There was a time when if you visited, upon leaving, they would come to your car and wave goodbye as you drove away. And I can recall that very much in the 70s, not so much oh, now. What now. was that, Julia? I do, I do it now. I mean, what is wrong with people? Like, you know, I mean, my place has been called Quantico. It's she's pretty locked down, but people have to come in through a gate and they're security checked, <laughs> face recognition. Uh, no kidding. Um, but when they come in in the summer, I walk them out. I take them out through the gates. I take. I walk them down. I watch them go. I wave to them. When it's raining, I will stay undercover and still wave until they've gone through the gates and that's it. But it's I would quite never. Old, it's but, quite old-fashioned, isn't it? I just think it's manners. It's just manners. That's all, all right. it is. Okay, well, with Wallace. us now is Steve, uh, who's in Napier. Kia ora, Steve. Hey, Wallace. Tell us your story. Well, <laughs> my wife and I have visited some friends in the States and have done a few times because um, our, our daughter was at the university there on a scholarship. And we stayed with some really, really not lovely people, were very hospitable, um, you know, wouldn't let us pay for meals, uh, really looked after us for a week. And then when we left to their house, they just basically shut the door, you know, <laughs> as we were loading our bags into the car. And we, and we were shocked. We were driving away going, whoa, you know. Either maybe they didn't like us or we just couldn't work it out. Americans, godless heathens, a lot of them. See us go. <laughs> That's quite a story. I, I, I'd, I'd have been tempted to actually stop the car, go back and knock on the door and say, well, big really hugs. Interestingly, we, yeah. we went, 
when we went back to stay with them after that, we, we told them about that experience and how we felt. And they said, look, we promise in future to come out and wave goodbye. Oh, so my but gosh. But that's not the same, is it? Because you don't want someone to have to be told what to do. Hang you want on. Someone you, to have you, you, actually, you actually raised it? Yeah, but but it was it was more of a joke because they became very good. They're very good friends of ours. It's like my daughter's um, uh, boyfriend's family, you know. So, but I think it's quite interesting that they weren't the only ones in the states. And I think it's not. It's something that we do as Kiwis, you know. And my wife's originally from the UK, and they do it in the UK. But I'm not so sure they do it in the states. And I sent you a text that perhaps cultural norms are becoming worldwide or more global. Well, we have an expert here, Steve, because um, Steve's from the UK, from Manchester, but he's lived in the US for years. Yeah, I, I so mean, ser- seriously, um, Americans, mate, no culture, none at all. It's, it's just, like, <laughs> just That's just the country for you, what can I tell all you? Right. But but this, this this thing of, of waving people off, it feels very Downton Abbey to me. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> vision, you, you know, your you, you, you car parked on the gravel gravel circular driveway and the entire staff line up as well, yeah? Do you, do you doff your top hat when they leave as well? Do you, <laughs> I think. Um, Do you curtsy about? I just think, like the other panel member said, I think it's just really good manners, and I think you need to go out and. Well, I'm 60, you know. I, I'm. I was raised just a common garden guy in Hawke's Bay, you know. And I think that's just what we do, you know. I, I, well, let me you know, ask you: Do you do this when it rains? Do, do it <laughs> the rain? Yeah, you would. I would, I would still. Wow. Be okay. Well, you, you, wow. you're, you're certainly committed to it, mate. I'll give you that much. Hey, Steve. Love, no, lovely can to I hear you. Yeah, Joy. Yeah, I kept Joy. Can I just say goodbye to Steve here? <laughs> let's, let's, he's been on. He's been on the radio for enough. Kia ora, Steve. Lovely to have you. Thanks for sharing. I'm going back to mow my lawns. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you, you called out to me before. Good <laughs> on you, Steve. All right, now, All right. Julia, go for it. No, I was just saying, if you think about it, the Americans often don't say goodbye when they hang up on a phone either. It's very much well, an American thing. That's, they just that's the hang up. It's like I said, no culture at all, no whatsoever. That's the films, no, no, Julia. I, 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 I'm no, it's with... not the films. It's not the films. I've been there enough to know it's not the films. They do. They don't say goodbye. None of them. All really? Th- 320 million of them, mate, and not a single one. So, does. so it's a bit of a difference of opinion here. Oh. Eh? So, Julia, Julia, on one side, Julia says um, it's vital uh, as part of the human condition to go out and actually wave goodbye to people. Steve, you're saying close the door and forget about them. No, I'm saying I'm saying there's a middle ground. I'll wave them wave them off from the door, but I mean, my 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 friends are not so absolutely codependent that I need to walk them out to their door. <laughs> I don't think mine are either. I'm just polite. Okay. Excuse me. I'm English. I'm the very definition of polite. Hey, I'm English too. So there you go. I just don't sound like. Um, (laughs) uh, If it's good enough for the Beverly Hillbillies to wave goodbye, it's good enough for me to do the same, says Jared. Wallace, I'm 38. Feel like I may be one of the few who takes their guests to the cars. We, child and parents, always do the waving ritual. We walk down our steps to the street and wave goodbye. Wallace. We still farewell our guests by walking into the car. I have always made my children do this, especially for their grandparents. Uh, I'm quite amazed by the response that this has had. Nonetheless, uh, it is certainly very interesting. Uh, 